Good to see you all. Isn't it such an amazing thing when the sun shines? So good. I've actually missed out on it a little bit because, well, I've been in Scotland twice in a week. Uh, so the last few days I have been uh, teaching Tom Peratt the word dreich, which means that it's cloudy and overcast and it's drizzling a little bit, which is Glasgow's common weather. Um, so I was enjoying that the last couple of days, but it's really nice to be in the sun today. Earlier on, um, I got a message from Matt here asking how much clothing is appropriate not to wear uh, when you're up front in church. So thankfully, he's got quite, still quite a lot on, so that's good. But it is very warm, isn't it? It's lovely, absolutely lovely. Um, so while we were in Glasgow, Tom and I, what we were doing, Tom Peratt is just, uh, to let you know who he is, is a guy who you'll have seen here before. He serves on sound sometimes um, and visuals. He does videos for us. He is at the Alder Road site. So he was uh, going up to Scotland to help me video some vision. So we went around the city um, explaining the vision of this new church plant that we are going to do in Glasgow this autumn. And so I'm telling uh, the story of how we believe God is calling us to do quite big things. So we're talking about a city of 1.2 million people, and we want to make uh, an impact on this city. Um, we want to, to really reach the city with God's love. And we're talking about not just being a church plant, but a, plant, a church that plants churches, a, a church that multiplies, a church that has an impact not just in Glasgow, but in Scotland. Now, we had a non-Christian uh, a person who does not yet know Jesus, who was filming us as our camera operator. And I just kept thinking, this guy must think we're fantasyful. This guy must think we're off our heads. Because we're talking about this huge thing, and the reality is, right now, it's just Lindsay and I. So, what confidence do I have to go to a big city? And Annabelle, I'm so sorry. Sorry, Annabelle, wherever you are. I'm sorry. The children count. We count all our kids. Um, so uh, what confidence can I have? Well, if it wasn't for church history and reading through it and all these incredible things that God does with ordinary people all the way back to this book of Acts that we're going through at the moment, then yeah, maybe it would be right to think it's fantasyful. But actually time and time and time again, God has shown that his church is growing, that he is in it, that he is empowering very ordinary people like me and like Lindsay. Oh, she's a bit more extraordinary than me. But ordinary people like us to go and do incredible things for the kingdom of God. And that is true here in Poole, that's true in Glasgow, and that's true throughout the world. And as, our, as part of our group of churches called Advance, our prayer is that over this next 30 years, we would see a kind of another book of Acts taking place that we'd see churches born time and time again, that churches like this one would grow, that churches like this one would have so many groups meeting, so many uh, people who just are desperate to, to hear the Word of God and meet together and praise Him and, and see their friends coming to faith and their families coming to faith and their colleagues coming to faith. That's our prayer. We want to see another Acts in our day. So we're on to week three of this series in Acts, and uh, this very first church in Jerusalem is going through incredible changes in its first few days and few weeks. Uh, so we're going to keep following through that. Um, we're in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and uh, we'll go all the way through uh, to 422. It's page 1094 in those Bibles, if you've got one uh, in the seats. And we'll see that there is a, a controversy that takes place. 
There's a, a miracle that takes place that is controversial. It causes a stir. And so we'll look at that, then we're going to look at how we test those controversies. What do we do with these things, these miraculous things that do take place as God's kingdom advances? How do we test them? How do we know it's from God? And then what we're going to do is we're going to work out how do we join this controversy, this Holy Spirit-empowered advancing kingdom that we're called to join in with. Okay, so that's the three things we're going to do. So let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that uh, your power is at work here. Thank you, Lord, that it's not down to just ordinary people like us, but that you delight in working through ordinary people like us, that your power and your name can and does change cultures, change cities, change towns, change nations. And so, Lord, we pray that today you would inspire us with that, that you would empower us again, that you would fall on us afresh, Holy Spirit. Come, we pray, Lord Jesus. Come speak to us. Amen. Okay, so we're going to read through the passage in chunks. It's obviously a very big passage, so we're going to go 3, 1 through 10 to begin with, okay? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man was lame from birth who was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. There was a homeless guy called John that I used to know in Glasgow. Uh, three to four days a week, I would pass by this guy because he sat under an arch that I had to go through. There was a big wide square that I came through. And then as I approached the arch, it all narrowed towards it. And so you couldn't miss him. He would lie across there and he would, even if you're in a rush, he was really good at catching your eye. So I would be rushing by thinking, I need to, I'm, I'm late. I need to get to this meeting. I need to do this thing. And he would still catch my, good morning or good evening. And he was a smart guy. I got chatting to him a few times. So he knew what times that he needed to be there, the busy times. And that's exactly what we see here. We see a, a guy who is a constant fi fixture and a stark reminder that not all is well with the world. As uh, people would have gone to prayer and come back out of prayer, um, they would have seen this guy lying at the beautiful gate, which was just at the entrance to the temple courts. And the big stairs narrowed towards it. I think we've got a picture of, of the big stairs narrowing towards it. So this is a kind of uh, obviously a, a model of what it might have looked like. 
But look how the stairs narrow towards the beautiful gate. So he would have been lying across there, very hard to miss. As Peter and John pass him that day, perhaps these words that Jesus had already spoken to them were ringing in their ears. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. They had no money to give the guy, but what they did have, they gave generously. Now, before we look at what they did, let's just take a moment to stop and, and pause and, and work out what, what was it that they actually first did that was generous? Well, they stopped. They gave him their time. How often do we give our time to others? Maybe like me, you're rushing to things always late, trying to get there on time. And it's, you find it difficult to stop and let people into your lives. How often do we see a need and respond by clearing our diaries? Can we even busy ourselves too much with church things that we actually end up missing the point of, of being compassionate towards people? As Lindsay and I prepare to move to Glasgow, it, it honestly can feel a bit overwhelming because we've got to, in a couple of months, uh, sell a house and before that, we're going to work out what we need to do to the house in order to sell it. Then we've got to think about buying a house. Um, and we've got to think about what area we want to live in and what's right and all that kind of thing. And then we've got to say goodbye to all these wonderful people here, fulfill our responsibilities here. Um, we've got to say goodbye to family down here. Uh, we've got to start gathering a team, a team of people who we pray like these ordinary guys we read about in Acts and make a huge impact in Glasgow together. We need to do so many different things in order to make this thing work. So it can feel overwhelming. But if we just take a moment, if I just take a moment to think about these guys, so we've got Peter and John and the other apostles, what's just happened? Well, they've just planted the first church to ever be planted. And within a few days, they're looking at thousands. And they're about to look at 5,000 people in their church. Now, I am praying for that. Come on, Lord. 5,000 people in our church, let's do that. But you know what? That would be an enormous problem. Imagine trying to organize that number of people. I mean, that's the problem you want, isn't it? But imagine trying to organize that number of people. These guys must have been so busy. I think sometimes we can look at, at the New Testament and we look at stories in isolation. And we forget what the big picture is. We forget what's going on around them. This was a busy time. This was crazy. But they still made the time to notice people. Paul says to the church in Galatia, remember the poor. And we too must remember the poor. Let's not busy ourselves so much that we miss people who are in need. Peter and John have compassion on the man, and so they begin to pray for him in the name of Jesus. And what happens? Well, as they pray for him, something extraordinary happens and they try and help him up. And as they do, the guy realizes something has changed dramatically. He's been lame for years and dramatically in an instance, he gets up and he starts walking. 
Now, the beggar's response is a stunning example of how we should respond to God's favor. When God gives us something good, when he gives us a gift, when, he, when God generously pours out his grace and lavishes us with his gifts that he loves to do, how do we respond? Do we respond like this? This is amazing. He jumped to his feet. He started to walk. Where did he walk? He walked straight into the temple. That's where he would have thought that the presence of God would be. And so he thinks, okay, I'm going to go into the presence of God with the, the apostles, and I'm going to pray with them, and I'm going to worship God. I'm going to praise him for everything that he's just done. He jumps around. He is praising God in the temple. Incredible. What a response. His hopelessness is replaced with hope. His misery is replaced by worship. Spiritually speaking, we have all been poor, helpless, in need of salvation. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we receive life. We receive life to the full in Christ. We receive all the promises that God has given to his people. I've got a, a picture here of the Matthew 25 statue in Glasgow. Now, this is a statue that's actually hidden away. It's quite hard to find. I actually found it because I was researching for some stuff and stumbled across it. Now, I don't know if you can see that there, but if you look to the homeless man's feet, there's a, they're actually pierced. And the whole idea is to show that Jesus has shared in our sufferings. He shared in the homeless sufferings. He shared in people with mental health difficulties, sufferings. He's, he shared in those who have cancers, sufferings. He shared in all kinds of sufferings, not by necessarily having those sufferings himself, but by going to the cross and receiving the sufferings of all mankind upon himself. That is the compassion that Jesus has had for us. And so our response should be to be compassionate people. As we receive his compassion, as we receive his love, our job is to love like him, to be compassionate like he is. This miracle causes quite a stir. Acts author Dr. Luke says in verse 10 that the people were filled with wonder and amazement. It blows their socks off, and so it would. You've been passing this guy every day in your daily routine. This is just what you do. You turn up to prayer. You go away from prayer. You do your thing. We see this guy. He's sitting there. He's always sitting there. He's just the guy that sits there. He's a the guy by the beautiful gate. But what happens here is like someone has thrown a grenade into their daily routine, then there's an explosion. Do you wholeheartedly accept it? How do you respond? Does it weird you out? Would it scare you? Would you be cynical? Would you think maybe someone's played a trick? That can't be the same guy. Nah, that can't be the same. I've seen that guy every day. That can't be the same guy. No way. So how do we know how do we know when something causes a stir if it's from God or not? 
Well, that's what the crowd want to ask. The bewildered crowd want to ask, what do we make of this? How do we respond to this? So they want to test the controversy. And actually, that is, that is not a bad thing to want to test something. So how do we test the controversy? Well, let's read on in verse 11 through to verse 26. While the, men, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power, our godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying this, his, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will, he will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. When Lindsay and I uh, were dating, uh, we did five years of long distance. So I was in Glasgow. Lindsay was in Nottingham. I had a little Peugeot 106, and I used to drive down the road. It took me about four and a half hours. And the whole way there, my little sunroof was going burp, 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 because it was broken. I didn't, poor student, so didn't get it replaced and just live with it. But I couldn't, I couldn't even hear the football on the radio. So we'd go Saturday nights, couldn't even hear the football on the radio. Must have been love. Lindsay had started going to this church in Nottingham, which I would go along to her with on a Sunday. And it was one of those church that, churches that, because I was quite conservative at the time, would make me feel a little bit awkward. We had some interesting conversations, didn't we? Uh, so when I was, someone spoke out in tongues, like another language, or when someone sang a song that seemed quite lofty and, and new, uh, or some, maybe everyone prayed together all at the same time, I would honestly want the ground to swallow me up. 
I would want to get out of there and get back to my comfortable church where people weren't really that weird and I could just be myself in my little bubble and I wouldn't have to bother with it. But I respected a lot of the people in the church and obviously I respected Lindsay. I knew that they loved the Bible and they weren't usually that weird. So it pushed me not to just discount it all, but to start exploring the Bible. Is this in the Bible? Is it real? Is it true? Should I trust it? What is it for today? What is going on here? It's easy to be cynical of things that we're not used to. It's also very easy to swallow everything that we're fed. So we must be people of the Word, diligent to test all things by God's authority, not by how we feel, but by what He has to say in His Word. And then we have a duty to obediently practice it if we see it in His Word. That's the reality, even when it's a little uncomfortable. Jesus doesn't call us to consumer Christianity. He calls us to obedience. The signs of the kingdom are here. And we must be careful not to get distracted by the status quo. Peter responds to these bewildered onlookers, these questioning people in this crowd, by doing what? By preaching. He says it isn't the power of the apostles that have done this, but the power of God. The God, the crowds leaving this prayer meeting would know all about and claimed to know. Peter preaches because the truth is found in Scripture. He preaches because that's what we should be testing these controversies with. So what does the Bible say about these things? Well, Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier and he said this, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then listen to this, then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Here in Acts 3, the lame man is literally leaping like a deer. Yet the cynic, the one who was uneasy with the things that were out of the ordinary, like I was at Lindsay's church those, all those years ago, remained uneasy in that crowd. And they would have seen it as weird, as, as not our tradition, not what is right. But Peter's preach is a sermon like every sermon should be. It's a sermon that focuses on Jesus. It's a, what, what people call a Christocentric sermon. So every single, every single time we preach, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we talk about Jesus. And the reason we talk about Jesus is because we see from Genesis to Revelation that ultimately all of Scripture points to one person, and that person is Jesus, and that all of the promises of the Bible find their yes in Him. Peter is saying that the Scriptures have always pointed to these moments this, these moments where the, the kingdom of God breaks in, where the church is born, where the ordinary people like you and me see people healed, where ordinary people like you and me see prophecies come true. 
where ordinary people like you and me are used to see the church grow and people come to faith and have their lives totally transformed. The promises of old are being revealed. All the prophets that these guys loved to quote speak about Jesus. All the bloody sacrifices are fulfilled by the blood of the Lamb of God on the cross. All of the law fulfilled by Jesus' obedience. All the judgment passages fulfilled by Jesus receiving the punishment we deserve. All the promises of new life fulfilled by Jesus' resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the church being born. When we see something that doesn't fit with traditions that we are used to, we mustn't just discount it. I know it's tempting. I know it can feel awkward. I know it can feel really uncomfortable. We must only discount it if it doesn't line up with Scripture, if it isn't seen in the Bible. That's when we, re- when we reject it. Not when it doesn't feel right or it doesn't fit with our tradition. It's what's in the Bible that counts for truth. We don't just blindly accept or reject it all. Peter is challenging these onlookers at the place where it hurts them most for them. Hey, devout Jews, people committed to your religion, all your observance, all your traditions, all your diligent study of the Torah, all your fight for Israel, all your family inheritance and what you count that for from Abraham to your family, all totally and utterly miss the point if you don't see that it all ends up pointing to Jesus. The whole Bible screams Jesus, and they miss the point. And now in this moment, Peter spells out the choice they need to make. Submit to God's Word and see that this religious observance was so out of focus that they themselves actually fulfilled the law and the prophets by murdering God on the cross. That's what he says. Or, let your religion reject God. So either repent for that and come to Jesus who loves you anyway. In fact, he died for you. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that is so bad. I mean, these guys murdered God and they're still offered God's love. Do you see that? There's nothing that you've done that is so bad that you can't come to God. His love is way bigger than that. His love is extraordinary. So repent. Say sorry to God for the things that you've done and turn to Him and be with Him forever. Or... Continue on your way, which will be a way that ends up in a place that is totally devoid of God's goodness and His promises. Now, did you notice that we've stopped talking about the miracle? Peter has shifted the focus in his sermon from the miracle to Jesus. As we pursue signs and wonders, we need to be really aware that the point isn't the signs and wonders. The point is Jesus. The point is to say, ha, we are with Jesus, the Holy Spirit in us, 
the same Jesus that did all those miracles, the same Jesus that will make everything right in the end, is with us. That's the point of the signs and the wonders, to show people that Jesus is alive. So let's read uh, 4, 1 through 22 as we work out what does it now look like for us to join the controversy. So we've looked at this controversial miracle, and we've looked at how you test the controversy, and now we want to work out how do we join it. 4, 1 through 22, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there, were, uh, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone else in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculous, miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Peter explained it brilliantly, didn't he? Jesus is the answer to all our questions. But of course... The religious elites still aren't happy. Just like they weren't happy with Jesus, they knew to expect this. The priests, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they challenge Peter and John for their preaching and they end up arresting them. After a night in the cells, they're asked a question by these religious elites and I love the question that they ask. It's honestly brilliant. They've had all night to think about this question that they're going to ask. 
And then they actually end up asking two questions, and both questions are just like setting him up with a slow ball for a six. Do you like that? I use a cricket analogy there. Don't play cricket in Scotland. Um, and it was just perfect. What do they ask? By what power? What do they ask? But what power or by what name do you do this? Come on. By what power? Well, Luke describes that it's demonstrated by what then Peter says. Because out of his mouth comes words that must have just amazed them. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he responds, and every word is empowered by God. It is, as Paul later describes, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is what that is. The Holy Spirit, the helper in Peter, speaking through him, giving him power and words. But let's be honest with ourselves. Even as we read this, even as we see this, even as we see that these miracles are true and they're real and they're at work today, it can be daunting to join this spirit-led controversy. When you're at work or you're leaning over the fence to a neighbor and they ask you a really difficult question about your faith, what do you do? You may even regard them as someone who is much more intelligent than you are. Who even, you might think, has better arguments than you do. What do you do? Do you crumble and just accept defeat? Or do you turn to the Holy Spirit? Do you remember that God used simple Galileans, ordinary men, fishermen, unschooled, to school the religious elites? The same power is at work in us. We need to turn to the power of the Holy Spirit and look to him to be our helper. I was speaking at a youth event in Glasgow a number of years ago when a few of the kids were messing about. They're about 12, 13 years old. And it got so bad that these boys down front were so loud that they were louder than what I was saying. So I had to stop and say something. And honestly, I would much rather have a PhD doctor such and such from Cambridge who is a total atheist and wants to take me down, challenge me, than a 12 or a 13-year-old boy trying to show off to his friends or the girl on the other side of the room. And so I'm praying inside. I'm like, Lord, help, help. And so I don't know where this comes from, but we were talking about... Um, the parable of the seeds. And so it's about these different seeds. If you don't know the story, uh, that Jesus tells a story where a farmer um, goes to sow some seed and some of the seed uh, falls on different ground that means that it doesn't grow properly. But there is some seed that falls on the fertile ground and it grows quickly and multiplies. And so I just asked the boys, what kind of seed are you? Are you listening to the word of God? Do you want to be the fertile seed? Do you want to be in good soil and to be healthy and to be with, rooted in God and know him forever? Or do you want to be the seed that grows up um, or doesn't grow up at all and dies? Now, I actually felt really guilty after that because it seemed really harsh. 
<laughs> and I, these are like young boys. And I'm like, oh, that's really harsh that I said that. But, and, and, and actually they left. So there's, I'm, I'm not even telling you like a happy ending story here, okay? They left. So my prayer for them was that God would actually impact them through something that was said. But I, looking back, I can trust that when I ask God for help, he will help me. He will give me words. And all of us should be the same. That in our tricky moments, even when we have to be faithful and say things that sound and seem very difficult, we can trust that the power of the Holy Spirit is working through us. That is, that is such a, a comfort. That when we join this controversy and we're willing to, to just put ourselves out there, that the Spirit is with us, helping us, we can trust Him. And what about the second part of the question? What about the second question? By what name do you do this? Oh, it's like gold dust. Peter doesn't mess about. He says plainly, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He doesn't talk about some technique or some special way of doing things. He doesn't say there's a new God. He says, this, he says Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is the fulfillment of all the things that you've been reading about in the Torah. He looks at the man that life itself rests upon. He calls him the cornerstone. On the 1st of May in 2001, you might know this story. It's a really sad story. Uh, in Jerusalem, there's a wedding hall. And um, in the wedding hall, they wanted to make some more space. So what they did was they knocked down some partitions inside the wedding hall to make it a, a much bigger, one big venue rather than lots of little venues. And they didn't know this at the time, but when they knocked down those walls, they weren't just knocking down partitions, they were knocking down supporting walls. So the load was bearing on those walls. A few weeks later, there's a wedding and the whole building collapses. 23 people die. It's brutal. And that is what that is exactly what is being said here, that Jesus is the cornerstone. And if you take Jesus away, everything collapses. Everything collapses. The, the Bible doesn't make sense without him. He's, he's saying to the Jews, look, see that Jesus is the answer to all your questions. See that this revolution, this crazy stuff that you see isn't just some made-up stuff. This is the mission of Jesus continuing, and it's the mission of the Bible continuing. This is the same God, and it all rests, it all bears its weight on Jesus. The religious elites, they recognize these men must have been with Jesus, these ordinary men. They saw that Jesus had been a miraculous man. They saw that he was an extraordinary man. It's clear they didn't get it, though didn't see the fullness of who Jesus was. Jesus had taught Peter and John to imitate him, hadn't he? They'd seen him living and speaking the kingdom in every single moment. But remember, when Jesus was alive, they were pretty ineffective. It was Jesus who was effective. It was his power working through what he was doing it was the power of God working through Jesus. It wasn't 
the disciples at the time. But now the Holy Spirit has filled them. And because the Spirit has filled them, they, Christ is in them, they are doing the work. It can be easy to look around the world and think it's hopeless. They'll never change, these people around me. My family will never change, my friends will never change. But as we call on the name of Jesus and we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see that as ordinary people, we can change cultures. We can change pool. We can change Dorset. We can change this nation. Just as ordinary people in this room. There are more of us in this room than what Jesus started this whole thing with. We can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit as we rely on him and in the name of Jesus. If we're feeling ill-equipped, don't worry. The power of the Spirit is in you. And the name of Jesus is your authority. So why don't we, why don't we do something now as I finish? Why, why don't we get to our feet together? And the band are just going to come up. Why don't we call on the power of the Holy Spirit to come and flood us again? Now, remember, it's okay if you feel a bit uncomfortable. Is it in God's Word? Yes, it is. Should we still pursue it? Yes, we should. 1 Corinthians says that we should eagerly desire all the gifts, especially prophecy. It's for today. God's miraculous continues through us. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and I'm going to ask him to come and do things in us today. That he might give us pictures, that he might give us uh, words about healing, that he might give us boldness and courage, that he might help us as we leave this place to be trusting in the power of him and not in our own strength, not looking to ourselves. Father God, would you send now the power of your Holy Spirit and fill us afresh. Lord, forgive us. So often we trust in our own strength. We look inwardly to ourselves and we, and we ask, what can we do? I, I'm just such and such. I can't do anything. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive us because your church has been born and your spirit has been poured out. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come now. Rest on us now, we pray. Lord, help us if we are feeling uncomfortable to embrace the truth, embrace your kingdom that is advancing, embrace the power of the Holy Spirit.